Today's Crosswalk is Pastor Clay's full message entitled, The American Experiment, Stepping Stones. We presented part one last week, and this week, we have parts one and two together for you in one Crosswalk podcast. We're glad you've joined us this week for another message from the Truth Project series. Truth is authoritative. It is established by God. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. There are lots of people in the world and lots of different religions that believe in lots of different gods. And there are even lots of people here in America that I talk to that say they believe in God. But the truth is, based on what Scripture teaches, any person doesn't have a relationship with God the Father through God the Son is, in a sense, an atheist. Question, how much would you pay for an atheist? That may sound like a strange question, but have you ever stopped to think about what it has cost men and women through history to ensure the message of Jesus came down to us? All that they went through, all that they did, they did not see the culmination or the completion of it. They did not see the coming of the kingdom of God because God had something for us down the road and they became, as it were, stepping stones. I'm Rick Freeman. Hello again and welcome to this week's Crosswalk. Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the Hall of Faith chapter because it recounts the great faith of men and women like Noah, Abraham, Sarah, and others. Well, today Pastor Clay is taking us to the closing verses of that chapter to see what those who have gone before us have paid in order to advance the work of the kingdom and to challenge us to ask the question, how much would I pay for an atheist? We're glad you've joined us today for part nine of The Truth Project and our message, The American Experiment, Stepping Stones. Forty-one names. I know you can't read. I know it's too small. It's <laughs> Forty-one names. Most of us wouldn't recognize hardly any of them. And yet, you and I owe a great deal to those 41 individuals and the other approximately 60 people who accompanied them on board the ship known as the Mayflower. Depending on who you read, somewhere between 99 and 102 people set sail for the Americas. Those 41 individuals signed what is known as the Mayflower Compact. They signed it while they were on board ship en route to America. The... uh, the, the compact, the, the document that they signed had to do with how they were going to cooperate together in a sort of a legal system and, and all that, that kind of stuff. Uh, they are known today as pilgrims. We call them pilgrims. Back then they were known as separatists. You see, these individuals, these followers of Jesus believed that the, the official church, state church, the Church of England that the Church of England and the king had, had overstepped their bounds, that the king had abused his power, that they had, they had misinterpreted uh, scripture, and, and they, were being, they were being persecuted for their beliefs. So certainly, religious persecution played some type of part in their decision to leave Europe and come to America. But 
there was, in fact, and I believe that that persecution was simply a catalyst for something that was greater in store for them. That, that there was a bigger purpose that God had and that they understood that they had. The Mayflower Compact reads in part this way. Having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith and honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. November 21st, 1620. Having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. As their primary purpose for undertaking this voyage. For the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. They landed December 26th, 1620. As you see in the document there, they were aiming for Virginia. But they were blown off course and they landed in Plymouth, Massachusetts. A much harsher environment. Much colder, much more rugged, much more barren. For the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith, the journey took over two months. Of the 18 women that landed at Plymouth that day, December 26, 1620, by April 1621, only four of them were still alive. In very short order, there were quite literally as many pilgrims under the ground as there were above the ground. There was bitter cold, there was disease, there was hunger, even to the point of starvation. Husbands were burying wives, wives were burying husbands, parents were burying children. For the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. That got me to thinking, what would I do for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. What would you do for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith? Let me put it to you another way. And, and this other way that I want to put it in the form of a question, again, as I've been giving, but the, 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 what I want to put this, the way I want to put this, what I'm giving to you is, is our BP squared. If you've been coming here for a while, you know what that is. It's your, it's your big picture biblical principle I want to share with you this morning. And it's this. How much would you pay for an atheist? How much would you pay for an atheist? Now, that may seem like a strange question to you, but I think it's a good question. I came up with it, so. Uh, it may seem like a strange question to you. And that, a question like that, how much would you pay for an atheist, usually invokes one of two responses. Usually. Uh, the first one might, might be what you might call the, the fleshly response. I don't want to pay for no stinking atheist. They hate God. They're God-haters. It, uh, it does seem strange to me that, that many of the atheists that I've listened to or read, it does seem strange to me that they, they do seem to have a, a sense of anger towards God, which always strikes me as funny as, because I don't, how can you be mad at a God that you don't believe exists? It always seems strange to me. But I'm not sure that hating God-haters is the right response for us. The other response uh, to the question, how much would you pay for an atheist, uh, is usually what I would call the spiritual response. Well, I can't pay for, for an atheist. Only Jesus can pay for anyone's sins. Right? Now, that's certainly theologically correct. 
There's no question about that. But when I ask how much would you pay for an atheist, I'm not referring to paying for their salvation. We already established that only Christ can remove sins. Only Christ can pay for sins. When I ask the question, how much would you pay for an atheist, I'm asking you, how much would you pay for an atheist to hear about that salvation? How much would you pay? Is there too high a cost? Open your Bibles, uh, if you have one with you this morning, to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is a chapter that's known as this great, uh, the, the hall of faith chapter. And, and we're not going to read all of that, that part today. We're going to read the, the last closing verses, verse 35 through uh, 40. With this in mind, how much would you pay for a person to hear about God? How much would you pay for an atheist? You can probably figure it out, but when, I, when I'm using the term atheist, I'm referring to it in, in, in a general or generic sense. Because there are lots of people in the world and lots of different religions that, that believe in lots of different gods. And there are even lots of people here in America that I talk to that, that say they, they believe in God. But the truth is, any person that does not have a relationship with God the Father, based on what Scripture teaches, any person that doesn't have a relationship with God the Father through God the Son is, in a sense, an atheist, uh, an atheist. Against God or, or without God or anti-God. How much would you pay? Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, beginning this morning in verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And others were tortured, not accepting their release. So that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword, they went about in sheepskin, in goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy." Wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us. So that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. In other words, all that they went through, all that they did, they did not see the culmination or the completion of it. They did not see the coming of the kingdom of God. They did not see it all come to, to, it, to, its, uh, to its final conclusion. Why? Because God had something prepared ahead, something for us down the road. And they became, as it were, stepping stones so that you and I could hear of God's love. How much would you pay for an atheist? I think Hebrews chapter 11, especially that last part there, I think it ought to come with, a, with one of those warning labels, you know, like they have on some of those medications. Y'all love those commercials? You know, warning, side effects include, you know, uh, <laughs> nausea, loss of appetite, insomnia, uh, uh, you know, twitching of the right hand and left eye and, you know, just all, all this kind of, it's like, it goes on and I'm like... Yeah, who wants that drug? I think Hebrews 11 should come with, with, with sort of a, a warning like that. Warning, side effects include conviction, guilt, shame, tears, remorse, feelings of failure. Because I don't know of anybody. I don't care the, the greatest Christian in the world. I don't know of anybody that at times doesn't fall short of that description that we just read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35 through 40. The sacrifice, the cost 
the anguish that they must have gone through. And I read that in Hebrews chapter 11, and, and I'm, just, I'm just so looking at my own life and wondering, did they pay too high a cost? Because in essence, what the writer is saying is that, is that they did this so that this message could come on down through the ages, so that eventually they sacrificed, they experienced what they did so that I could experience the salvation that I, that's come into my life as a result of receiving Jesus Christ, my personal Savior. And, and, and I know what my life is like, and I know how sometimes fall, how I fall short of what my life ought to be. And I, and I read about this, and I wonder, man, did, did they pay too much? Was this too high a cost for them to pay? And, and would I pay that? Would I pay that? Would you pay so high a price for an atheist, a person without a relationship with God? So I mentioned last week, and I want to show you the quote again because I just think it's, it's so important. I mentioned last week this book I'm reading, Jim and Casper Go to Church. It's a story of uh, Jim Henderson, uh, who is a believer, and Matt Casper, who is an atheist. And Jim Henderson pays Matt Casper to go to church with him. He goes to church with him, and he, he pays him to evaluate the church, evaluate everything he experiences, evaluate the people, evaluate the sermons, the music, all that stuff. And so after the very first church that he went into, after the service, they're sitting and having a cup of coffee, uh, and, and Jim asked him to rate some of the various things, the music, the preaching, and, you know, all this different stuff. And he asked him to rate the people, y'all, for instance. If, you, if they were sitting, if Jim and Casper were sitting out here today, he asked them to rate the, the congregation. What was his sense of those people sitting out there? And this is what he said. I get the impression that this is something simply on most folks' schedule. Saturday cookout, Sunday church. I, I mean, we're talking about God, heaven, the afterlife, the, the nature of existence in the universe, right? And to me, it feels like most of them are just watching TV, taking notes, paying attention to a lecture just as they would in school, but not really engaged in the spirit of it all. And I asked this question last week when I gave the, the quote, and, and it's a kind of introspective question. But, but do we look like that? And again, I know it's one guy, it's one guy's opinion, but, but is that the impression that we give off? Are we just here because we're marking time, because I, I'm a Christian, I'm, of course I'm supposed to go to church, right? Are we really engaged in the spirit of it all? Meaning, did I come in here with, with a sense of appreciation for who God is and what he's done in my life and actually thinking that I might encounter him today? And that he might actually speak something into my life that would affect me. I wonder, what's too high a cost so that others can hear what you and I have heard? Well, we covered a couple of them last week. And uh, just real quickly, briefly review them. Then we're going to finish up the rest of them. First one we said last week was comfort and health. Is that too high a cost, comfort and health? Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 says that these people were wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Doesn't sound very comfortable or very healthy, does it? Wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Is that too high a cost to pay? Now, again, got nothing against comfort and health. It's high on my list of things I like. (laughs) I like comfort and I like health. Uh, the question is, would we pay that? If we had to, if it came down to somebody being able to, to actually hear God's message of, of love and redemption, but we had to give up our comfort and our health for that to happen, would I say, okay, okay, 
I, I can let go of comfort and health. Would I be willing to do that? Um, I don't know. It's a good question to ask, I think. And, and it, I, it's, it's, it's really a question that's probably in some sense more pertinent for those of us who live in America. Because we have so much comfort and health, relatively speaking, to the rest of the world. If you tell a believer in, uh, you know, somewhere in the far reaches of the world that, that you, well, you're going to have to, in order to make this happen, you're going to have to go without food for three days. It's not going to be as big a deal to that person, quite honestly, because there's probably days when that's a reality in their life. But for us as Americans, comfort and health is a big deal. Again, I'm not saying that we can't have comfort. I'm just saying, would we pay that if we had to? I was, uh, Thanksgiving Day, I Skyped. Steve. Does anybody know what Skype is? Skype. If you don't have Skype, you need Skype. If, if, you're, if your computer has a camera or you can buy a little camera, get Skype. You can talk to anybody all over the world. Look at them. They can look at you. It's a live thing. doesn't cost anything. Um, I Skyped Steve. 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 Uh, I won't even use his last name because he's in a country that's a closed country and, and our services go over the internet. By the way, if you haven't checked out our messages, our, our services, not the entire service on the internet at this point, but the preaching is, and it's just, it's done fantastic. And I encourage you to recommend it to others that may, uh, might can use it. I was talking to Steve by Skype. Some of you know from, if you get our prayer uh, requests or needs that go out, uh, Steve had been diagnosed with uh, H1N1. The flu and was deathly sick, and they put him in a hospital in this Eastern European kind of country. And uh, he, he said, he said, and his wife said, Rachel, he said it was like it was like going back in time at least fifty years to go into this hospital. Um, he, he's he's just deathly sick. He's dehydrated. He's he's been vomiting and just you know everything. I don't really need to go there, do I? Just all that kind of stuff. And, and at one point, they're going to give the dude a spinal tap. <laughs> no, I don't believe that's what you want to have done in that, in that part of the world. They're giving him a spinal tap. Anyway, she talked him out of that. I talked to him on Skype. It was Thanksgiving Day. Just wanted to wish him a happy Thanksgiving. He said it was the first day that he actually felt halfway living. Now, I'll tell you, he looked rough. I don't know if he's li- going to be listening to this or not, but I love my brother, but he looked rough. <laughs> You would, too, if you'd been through what he had been through. And I forget how many times that he told me he'd been sick in the last two years that they've, they've been over there, he and his, his family. Is that a price that's too high to pay so the people in that country can hear? All right, let's, let's go to another one. Uh, finances and security. There's another one big on our list. Mine, too. I like finances and I like security. I, I don't know if anybody in here that would say, I hate money. Take it away. <laughs> I like finances and I like security. And again, nothing wrong with having finances, nothing wrong with having security. I, and, I, and I said this last week, this is not a, an attempt to put anybody on a guilt trip. If you can go out to a nice restaurant for dinner, go. If you drive a nice car, have at it. If you can afford the $1.7 million one, I'll take your trade-in. Uh, you know, what, you know if you, it's, it's, not, it's not that. It's just... What, what are we willing to pay? And I mentioned this last week that, um, that I'd recently talked to somebody that told me that their church was cutting their, their Lottie Moon Christmas offering by half. And, and I'm repeating myself if you were here, but that's the offering that, that thousands of churches all over America take up every year that goes to fund missionaries on the field, the international field. It, it makes it possible for them to be there. 
and this church was cutting their funds by one half. And it's a very important offering that's taken up every year. Today, uh, our church sort of officially kicks off our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. It'll run throughout the month of December. I, I thought it was very appropriate, really, to talk about it this morning in light of this, this asking this question, how much would I pay for a person without God to, to hear about God? I mentioned to you last week, we're not cutting back our Lottie Moon uh, goal. Last year, our goal was $5,000, and I think we took up just right at $6,000. Uh, I know it's economically difficult times. I know that. Any gift that's given is going to be sacrificial. But, but I'm praying that we'll go above that $6,000 mark this year because um, it's finances and security. Okay, let me get to uh, the ones for this week. How much is too high a cost? How about this one? Family and friends? Is that too high a cost? Family and friends? Now listen, I know this is a touchy one, all right? <laughs> Sorry. We miss with my family. But is, is that too high a price to pay? The idea that, that my family or friends or, or, or whatever sacrifice I might have to make as a result of that or might have to give up something or might have to do without them or whatever. I know it's a, it's a touchy subject. Listen, I, do you know what can be one of the greatest obstacles to someone selling their life out and, and following God's direction for their life in, in a full and complete way? Do you know what can be one of the greatest obstacles? Family and friends. <laughs> Family and friends. And listen, I, I mean, when, when, I, when, when I told my dad that I was resigning uh, my postmastership and was going to, Cindy and I were going to give our lives to, to full-time vocational ministry. He, he thought I was being foolish. He, he, he just couldn't believe that uh, I'd give up a career and security and, and all that kind of stuff to do that. Uh, he came, before he died, he, he apologized to me, told me he was wrong and said he, he should have believed God and, and what God had for our lives. But, but I've, I've, I've heard of more than one well-intentioned family member or friend that has said, well, now, 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 are, are you sure? Are you sure that's what God's saying? Or, or just the idea that it, that it would cost you, uh, family and friends. I was reading this week about some of the, pil- the, the pilgrims. Some of the pilgrims left their children in, in England when they, when they came to America. They left their children because they knew that the, that the difficulties would probably be too great for them. Now, listen, I know to us, it's hard for to comprehend even the idea that I would walk away from my from my children, leave them standing there at the dock as the ship sails away. It's almost more than perhaps we can comprehend for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. For them, they felt that it was worth that cost of sailing away, knowing that in all likelihood they would never see their children again. Adoniram Judson was a pioneer missionary in Burma. He buried two wives and three children while he was on the mission field. He, he himself is buried in Burma. After 12 years of being on the field, he only had 18 people that he could find that had converted to Christianity as a result of his work. 18 people after 12 years while he's burying wives and he's burying children. And, and you think, man, what, what makes a guy do that? What makes a guy do that in the face of all that and make that kind of sacrifice? For the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. Is that too high a cost? Family and friends? Okay, how about, how about uh, one, one more? Suffering in life. Suffering in life. Surely that's too high a cost, right? 
Hebrews 11 says, Others were tortured, not accepting their release, in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. In other words, they were believing in something that was worth dying for. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. Suffering. And your very life. Is that too high a cost? Uh, Two or three weeks ago, Cindy and I took our oldest grandson, Wyatt, uh, to Marbles in Raleigh. Well, now, how did that get there? I, I don't know. That's <laughs> Marbles is a um, museum, science, funhouse kind of thing. Anyway, we take him to uh, Marbles, and, and we're driving into downtown Raleigh. And when we get, as we're in downtown Raleigh, we come and we have to stop at a, at a red light, a traffic light. And while we're sitting there, I look over to my left, and there is this plaque in honor of Melville Cox. Who? Melville Cox. Surely you've heard of him, right? Melville Cox was the minister of Edenton Street Baptist Church there on that corner in downtown Raleigh. He left that position to become the first Methodist missionary to Africa. When he left in November 1832, as he was preparing to leave, he had a conversation with a friend of his. Now, Melville was never in great health to begin with. But can I tell you something? The missionary board of the Methodist uh, denomination had approved funding to send a missionary to West Africa seven years earlier. Seven years, the money sat there waiting for somebody to go, but nobody was willing to pay the price. And and I can just imagine Melville standing up here week after week pleading with his people to answer the call, to go to the hard places, to do what God calls them to do. And at at some point, he he just said, it's got to be me. Now, Melville was never in great health to begin with, and so he he has this conversation with a friend of his who really doesn't think he should go, and he says to Melville, if you go to Africa, you will die there. Melville said, if I do, you must come and write my epitaph. He, uh, the the friend that was talking with him said, what shall it say? And Melville Cox said, what is on the bottom of the plaque, let a thousand fall before Africa be given up. He landed in Monrovia March 8th, 1833, and he died of malaria July 21st, 1833. Roughly four and a half months. Now, who in here would be tempted to say, well, that was stupid. I mean, he should have stayed in America. Clearly, the guy was not in good health. He should have stayed in America. He could have, he could have, he could have served the Lord right here. But in those short four and a half months that he was there, he, he, he started revival services. He started regular weekly worship services. He started Sunday school uh, classes. He laid the groundwork for the very first uh, college in West Africa, the College of West Africa. And besides all of that, as a result of his sacrifice, hundreds answered the call to go in his place. You tell me, did Melville Cox pay too high a price? So that men and women in West Africa could hear the message of Jesus. What's too high a cost? Your health? Your very life? All right. Um, we've listed some things that, that you need to ask yourself. Is that, is that where I would draw the line? Is that where I would say that's too much? Is that the cost that I'm unwilling to pay? Having done that, let me say this to you. If you're here this morning and, and perchance God should be working on your spirit. 
and wearing you out about this. As you're asking these questions to yourself. And, and perhaps you're saying, you know what? God, I want, to, I want to pay whatever price I have to pay so that I can be all that you've created me to be and I can be used effectively by you to impact the kingdom, the world, for the cause of Jesus Christ. If perchance you would be here this morning and you, those thoughts would be in your mind even now, then let me give you three resources that you need. If you're going to answer this call, if you're going to do this thing, whether it's right here in Raleigh, North Carolina, or to the far reaches of the earth, three resources that you need. First resource is this, faith for the journey. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39a, and all these having gained approval through their, what? Say it. Faith. Say it again. Faith. I I didn't read it this morning, but perhaps you have... Perhaps you have many times, perhaps you never have. But if you go back and read Hebrews chapter 11, if I count it right, 26 different times the writer of Hebrews mentions this faith factor and the importance of faith in a person's life. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Joseph. By faith, Rahab. By faith, Moses. By faith, by faith, by faith. By faith, you need faith for the journey. It's what sustained them through all that they experienced and it's what will sustain us through what, for what God calls us to by faith. You need faith for the journey because uh, let's think about the missionary or the pilgrims, for instance. Uh, you, we read in the compact that they were aiming for Virginia. They got blown off course, right? Okay, we're going we're to do this thing for the glory of God. We get blown off course. They land up in Plymouth. It's cold. It's much harsher. It's much more barren. It's a much rougher area. They start dying even before they get there, right? We talked about that last week. And do you think it would take very long for, you, for these thoughts to begin to creep into your head? D- did we miss this? Did we miss God's will for our life? Is this not the right thing? Because, boy, I just thought if we were doing this for God's glory that everything's just going mean, to roll out like a red carpet and everything's going to be good because that's what we're, how we're trained to think. Did we miss what God's will is? And is it possible? It, listen to me. If you don't have a boatload of faith at that moment, you're going to be in trouble. I mean a boatload. Because in that moment, fear, anxiety, uncertainty, all those emotions come crashing down on you at one time. And if you don't have faith to say, I know what God has called me to do. I'm going to be faithful to do what he's called me to do despite my circumstances, what anything else looks like. I'm going to complete the task to which he has called me and I'm going to be faithful in it because of his faithfulness to me. You've got to have faith for the journey. And remember, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 gives us the definition of faith, which simply is, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It doesn't matter what your path looks like. It doesn't matter what the journey, oh, but it's all by faith, by faith. You got to have faith for the journey. Second, you need hope for the future. You need faith, you need hope, and you need specifically hope For the future. Because listen, at some point, both the people in Hebrews 11 and the pilgrims and others, at some point, they've got to realize, hey, I may not see the completion of this. Hey, this may not work out exactly as how I thought, perhaps thought it would be. And at that point, you've got to have hope for the future. You've got to have an idea that despite whatever all this ends up being, I know that there's something else out there, something prepared for me that is far better. And what I will experience or have experienced down here. 
right in the middle of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16, I think it is. It says, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Them being these people he's describing in Hebrews 11. They desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Uh, William Bradford, one of the, mission, one of the pilgrims uh, on the Mayflower, must have had this very verse in mind as he wrote later about all that they experienced. And this is what he says. He said, they knew they were pilgrims. They, were, they knew they were just passing through here. And looked not much on those things, meaning the adversity, the trials, the, the hardships. Looked not much on those things, but lifted up their eyes to the heavens, their dearest country. Listen to me, folks. It's hope for the future. Listen, God willing, I will die doing what God has called me to do. Do I want to see God do great and mighty things in my lifetime? Do I want to see him him use me, use this fellowship in remarkable ways to touch thousands of lives for the glory of God and the advancement of His kingdom? Absolutely. But this is what I know. No matter what happens, when they, when, when they, when they lower me in the ground and, and y'all throw dirt over me and somebody will say, well, that's His final resting place. No, it's not. No, it's not. I've got a better country. I've got a better place. And it is that hope of a future that keeps me going a lot of times when I don't feel like. One other idea, real quickly. Love for him and them. You've probably heard it at a wedding. First uh, Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, Paul says, now these three remain. Faith, hope, love. But the greatest of these is love. Love for him and love for them. Can I just get honest with you for a moment? At some point, you got to... This probably doesn't sound very good, but at some point, you got to belly up to the bar. At some point, saying you love God is not enough. And the love that I say that I have for him has to be communicated in my life's actions, my life's responses, my life's work. Love for him and love for them. Can I tell you this? I honestly, I thought about this as I was preparing this message over the last couple of weeks. And I really thought about this. And as, as, as God is my witness, in all honesty, I think I can say this. I, I honestly love the people outside of these walls. I, I don't know most of them. And can I tell you something? Most of them don't give a flying flip about what I think or believe or have to say to them. They, they don't give a rip. So, so I think God must have put that love into me, that desire to want to actually communicate this message to them about God's love for them. Because I, I, I'm, I think I'm willing to do pretty much anything so that, they can, so that they can hear about it. Over 30 years ago, a young man named Danny Enfinger went out to ride motorcycles one day, uh, dirt bikes, motocross with a group of guys. And at some point in their riding... Uh, they stopped to rest and, and drank beer and talk about the things that, that young guys talk about. Danny was a follower of Jesus, and he took the opportunity to begin to share with those guys about his newfound faith and about what Jesus Christ had done for him and about what he would do for them. Those guys were merciless. They, they mocked him. They ridiculed him. They laughed at him. They called him preacher. 
They told him to, to take, that, take that Bible stuff back to the church. They didn't want to hear it. He wasn't welcome there. The reason I know so much about this story is I was one of those guys there that day. And, and afterwards, I, I thought about it. What, what would make a guy do that? What would make a guy put up with that, go through that, experience that for a group of guys that didn't even like him? And the only thing I could figure was his love. Love for him and love for us. That's the only reason I can think of. Listen, they're not worth it. They're not worth it. But neither was I. And neither were any of you. So, Jim and Casper go to church. I don't know how much you would pay for an atheist, but I'll tell you something. We could learn a thing or two from an atheist. Because this is what Matt, the atheist, says. If I did believe in God and that I was going to be granted eternal life in heaven, I'd want to do something significant here on earth. To live as much of my life as I could following the example set by Jesus when he was here on earth. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I don't know. Maybe I don't know the real story of Jesus. I think Matt gets it a lot better than perhaps even some of us that claim that name. Because Matt is basically saying the same thing that Jesus said to us. And it's, it's come up a couple of times in this series. It is the theme verse of this church. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. Then Jesus said to all the people, If any of you want to be my followers, you must forget about yourself. You must take up your cross each day and follow me. So we're back where we started last week. One question. One question only. How much would you pay for an atheist? Faith, hope, and love. They are truly the resources we need if we're willing to pay the price so that others can hear the good news of Jesus. Like the men and women of Hebrews chapter 11 and the pilgrims we think of this time of year, we have to be willing to lay it all on the line for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. There's a new Crosswalk lesson each week available at crosswalkonline.org and at crossculturelife.org. Visit us online and find out how you can join one of our life groups and participate in the small group study of The Truth Project. And join us next week as Pastor Clay continues this timely and life-changing series. Cross Culture Church has a new home in Raleigh. We invite you to join us for our weekly cross-culture worship with upbeat Christ-centered music and timely encouraging biblical messages celebrating the goodness of our God and what it means to be in a relationship with Him. Cross Culture Church meets Sunday mornings at 1030 in the auditorium at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture, you'll find a community of believers with the desire to be used by God to show that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're looking for. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.
Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.